0: So we're just getting to the end of that cycle now of reading GTD.
1: Yay, hope it didn't hurt.
0: Not too much. It's not the first <laughs> time I've read it, to be fair.
1: might be the uh, thir- uh, might be about the third actually. Well, by the sixth or seventh you'll get it.
0: <laughs> Great, good to know. Good to know. And where are you in Amsterdam today?
1: Yep. Very Amsterdam. nice to you.
0: How can you move to Amsterdam?
1: It's a terrible place. You never want to come. Stay away.
0: <laughs> uh, it, genuinely, <laughs> if, I could, if I had to move out of Leeds, where we live, and you said you can go and live in any city in Europe, I would move to Amsterdam.
1: Oh, it's a it's a fabulous place. Quality of life, the lifestyle, the people, the openness of the culture still. I mean, it's such an oasis now, particularly, given what's going on in the world. Yeah. You know, and we love it. and. So we intend to stay, I intend to emigrate.
0: Good for you. Yeah. David the Dutchman. (laughs) Righto. Right, so. Hello and welcome to the IRC Book Club podcast today. It is quite an honour to have what I would describe as an A-list guest on the show. We have David Allen, author of Getting Things Done, which I would say of many of the books that we have covered on the show has had a very significant influence on my own career and work in so many different respects, has had an enormous influence on a lot of people. So without any further ado, David, welcome to the show.
1: Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you okay. for
0: coming on. Thank you for coming on. So perhaps we could start a little bit with you just giving everybody a little bit of a pricey about David the man.
1: I'm the laziest guy you ever met. <laughs> um, Early on in my, even before I started the current career that I'm on, which I've been on for 35 years, I got uh, attracted to clear space, both meditation, spiritual practices, martial arts, what I now refer to as the strategic value of having a clear head. Right. Uh, And then I got into the... You know my consulting practice in business and world and got into the corporate training world and my life got more complex and so i hungrily uh looked for best practices for myself to be okay. able to keep clear to keep clear space and as i found those things that worked for me i turned around and used them with my uh, clients and it produced exactly the, those techniques and best practices produced exactly the same results more control more space more um, freedom to focus on the stuff, the cool stuff you want to focus on without being distracted. And we're not born doing these things, but they're fairly simple behaviors. But what I did was really curate what these behaviors were, put them all together. And then that became a lot of what my career became, a lot of training in the corporate world, a lot of coaching in the corporate world, a lot of, and not just the corporate world, but all over, startups, uh, individuals contributors, stay-at-home dads, you know, whoever has a busy life that wanted to learn this stuff. So I spent i spent literally thousands of hours one-on-one with some of the busiest and brightest people you'd ever meet actually implementing this stuff, testing it out, and refining it. And then 25 years later, I, it took me that long to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else had done it. And so I got some good coaching that I should just write the manual. So I wrote the book, Getting Things Done, published in 2001, first edition. And that sort of threw me onto the global stage because it hit a nerve out there. And that's kind of where I, what I'm doing now is supporting a whole global uh, licensee network of people that we've licensed to then distribute this methodology right. around the world. Yeah.
0: Okay. My first question, what's the biggest... In, you, when you're coaching a client, so as you've prescribed, you've started the weekend complete dump of all all stuff... What's the biggest inhibitor and objection you get from people to this as a methodology?
1: Well, I don't get that because by this time in my career, I only get people that want it.
0: Right. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> they're already yeah. sold. They're already sold. I'm, I'm, they're already sold. I'm, I'm not trying to beat anybody up to convince them about this stuff. Right. Uh, if I had to convince somebody about this, I'd say, well, what, you know, are you distracted by anything? What would you do if you had absolutely nothing on your mind and you had the freedom to focus on, your full attention on whatever you wanted to put your attention on would that be useful to you right and if and if they say yes then i say well great do you know how to do that and if they do if they say yeah i know then fine i go on to the next person if they say no i don't i say well i know how to do that at least i figured out the algorithm or the formula about what you need to do to get stuff off your mind
2: so i mean can, can i ask about this then which is i'm as stubborn as a mule right And I never listen to anything that anybody says. I I occasionally do. So I reckon, if you decided to coach me, you'd say, "Right, come on then, Mike." And if I'd come to you and I, you know, set the time aside, paid the money, was in enough pain, you know, whatever it might be, and you were sat at my desk, I think that, without wishing to be purposefully stubborn, that some of the change in this book are quite big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big system to implement. Yeah. So there must be some sticking points where a Mike Price or just an average Joe, not to say that I'm more than average Joe, but you know what I mean, where, where an average Joe sort of trips up on part of the process or part well, of the point.
1: yeah, there are really five stages and steps that I describe about how you get any situation more under control and more focused. Yeah. You capture, you clarify, you organise, you reflect, and then you engage. You know, after you've done that, And the first four steps, anybody can fall off on any one of those steps. First of all, most people write down stuff, but they don't write down everything.
0: Uh, That's a big thing for us.
1: Most people don't trust their head or their lists because neither one is complete. And your head's a crappy office. So, you know, I just found you get get it all out of your head. And if you keep a calendar or a diary, you you already say, yeah, your head can't do it. Mm. So, you know... Try to intellectually justify halfway in between. Either your head's the place to hold stuff, or it's not. Try to justify halfway in between. You can't, right? So that's the first place people fall off, is they don't really, really, really do that. the, the full capture mode. And full capture means you you guys, right now, where you're sitting, you need to look in every drawer, all, everywhere around you, look at all your packs, look at all your pockets, look find everything that doesn't belong there permanently, that's been there longer than a few hours besides money. That's the first place. That's the first place you start. Oh, I won't find with, any money. Yeah, well, look at whatever else <laughs> is there, because whatever else is there is yelling at you, or screaming at you, or whispering to you, and, and so you just look around. Call what's got your attention in your environment. What's but, not on cruise control? Because
2: having that's a th- ubiqui- ubiquitous capture system in itself is quite a difficult thing to have.
1: No, it's easy You've to have. It. It's, it, no, it's easy to have. It's difficult to make it a habit. Oh, right.
0: I yes see. absolutely we've all got a ubiquitous data capture system we all walk around right,
1: you them. got you got it in your hand right there it's called a pin, a pin. <laughs> you can write something on your fucking butt you know or or whatever you know uh, i'll on.
0: tell you a story the other day i was in a, a social event and um as the doors closed on this social event I, there was no way i could pull my phone out of my pocket uh, but the guy next to me had a pen and i had a thought and this is your fault david i had a thought May I come. and i couldn't I knew I was very tired and I thought if I don't write this down somewhere, somehow now it is going to get forgotten and that is going to be a problem.
1: Right. And the, muse, put, the, muse, the muse is very fickle.
0: Yes. And I wrote it all over my hand during this particular <laughs> thing. and but, yeah. and that, So that the moment I got out, I could take a photo of it. <laughs> so I could, that when I got out, I then went to the toilet, took a photo of it before I washed it off, scanned it, and put it into my task management system.
1: You're almost as strange as I am, Charles. So. Yeah, but, but, yeah. That,
0: but that writing things down thing, you know, Michael will tell you, how long have you and I worked together? For
2: well, a while, yeah.
0: 20 years. Before we'd even read Getting Things Done, one of the things we were always taught was, write everything down. Everything. If it's a thought in your head, get it down. If it's something a customer said to you, write it down. And it hasn't hurt us, has it?
2: No. So just getting back to it, though, what I think you're saying, in answer to my question, David, is that why do people fall down is actually because they don't completely immerse themselves in it.
1: Correct. Yeah. And the, and the reason they don't, and I'll just I'll fast forward here to the reason most people don't fully implement this is their addiction to ambient anxiety.
2: Right. There's a starter for 10. Go on then, ambient anxiety. I think I know what you mean, but for those listening.
1: That strange little feeling that there's probably something I could, would, should, might need to do out there, but I forgot what the hell it was, but it might be more important than what I'm currently doing, so I'm not present anywhere. Right.
2: Why didn't you put that in the book, or did you put that in the book and I didn't read it?
1: I think I probably did. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I haven't read my book in years, so.
2: Because <laughs> I, right. I get your point. You know, my, my wife bless her like that is, is, if she's not worrying, I say, come on, you must be worried about not worrying now.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, how long can you be happy before some part of yours starts to feel guilty?
2: Yes.
0: Yes, well, it is that addiction to busyness, isn't it? But I
1: like that. Well, yeah, not so much business, but it's the, the willingness to tolerate stuff banging around your head. As soon as you're willing to tolerate I need cat food popping into your head more than once, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. And, you know, basically you're, you're used to that sort of ambient anxiety that gets created by the commitments you make with yourself that you have not appropriately engaged with.
0: Yeah, okay.
2: Okay.
0: That's a fair point.
1: No, it, so- is, it is the point. That's what the whole thing is. So, so if you want to know where do people fall off, it's called they fall off whenever they get back to I'm okay enough with the ambient anxiety I'm dealing with so I don't have to do this whole thing.
0: Because it's actually become acceptable to live with that anxiety and live with the stress exactly, of and course. live with the pain.
1: Of course. Whatever you get used to, you can get used to being just uncomfortable and then if you suddenly get comfortable, you'll feel uncomfortable with being too comfortable.
0: Well, it's like the frog in the water, isn't it? Sure. If I put a frog in a pan of boiling water, he's going to jump Ooh, out. If I, if I leave the frog in the pan, turn the heat up, they never really realise how much hot right. it's got.
1: That's right. But it takes, I mean, I'm talking about some of the coolest, smartest, most sophisticated, hip and happening people that you'd ever meet. It takes a couple of years for them to start to really change and raise the bar about what this methodology can do for them in terms of being staying really clear. And you're not always clear, but you don't want to stay unclear very long. See, anytime you people throw themselves out of their own comfort zone, I mean, the people most attracted to what I do are the people who need it the least. They're already the most productive, aspirational, positive, you know, productive people you'd ever meet. They've just thrown themselves out of their own comfort zones with their own creativity and their own success. And so they haven't pulled up the rear guard enough to be able to give them any more room. So they're just out of space. They just run out.
0: So how often do you find, therefore, that if you're involved perhaps in a coaching or consulting engagement, how often do you find that actually you're preaching to the converted when you get there?
1: Well, in a way, I'm preaching to the converted. I wouldn't even have shown up. They already know the value of system. They already know the value of process. They already know the value that they could create if they had more room to do that, and if they could get rid of some of the distractions and the you know sense of overwhelm or, or flood that they're that they're feeling like they're underneath now instead of on top of. And so, in a way, they're already sold. So again, yeah. I'm not I'm not a proselytizer. I'm not out there trying to convince anybody to do this if they don't want to do it. There are enough people that need it and are hungry for it, so I'm just looking for them to make sure they have it. But that's... I don't know if that answered your question or addressed what you were... It sort of did. It
2: was was an interesting conversation point, actually. So part of the thing you talk about in the book is correctly filing and storing and saving information.
1: Well, yeah. Well, not necessarily information, but things that are relevant to you. Yes. Or potentially relevant to you, because it's not information overload. If that was true, you'd walk into a library and die. Right. It's, infor- it's information that you think is might, you would, could, should need to need it or make a decision about it or do something about it. So it's, 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 it's potentially relevant information and data that you need to manage.
2: OK, I stand corrected, but uh, maybe I used the word information incorrectly. But anyway, so you talk about storing things that are going to be or might be relevant to you. And you talk about storing them in a certain way to make them more easy to retrieve what are your thoughts on how good the search technology is that sits on our desktop now and how that's lessened the importance for somebody to need to save things in a certain way?
1: Well, mm, I think it helps. I think it helps a lot. I, I've, I've met and coached some very sophisticated people that don't even bother you know, creating different kinds of email files because they know search can find pretty much anything. I have over 200 email files because I don't like to trust that my search will actually find it in the right way. So if you had really appropriate search, I go, yeah, that's fine. And that helps a lot. I mean, sure, I I use it. I use it too. Uh, But it's really nice to be able to then also organize all that data by theme, person, topic, project or whatever so that then i can go into that whole thing without having to do a search for those particular keywords See, if you're doing a search on a project you better have the same word in every single email that has to do with that project Mm. but you don't you know so it's not that good yet
0: it's pretty good though
1: oh it's pretty good sure i use Um, it all the time
0: yeah i mean i've been using a form i wouldn't say i'm if you said to what Percentage level, are you a complete GTD user? I would say about 80%. I have a bastardized system that works.
1: Mm-hmm. It's good enough.
0: Yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, do I do everything that you prescribe in the book? No, I don't like paper. Uh, you know, Michael and I both sat here with Apple pencils. It has become, because of the speed at which you can now use the app. I Apple didn't pencil. say you
1: had to use paper in the yeah, book. Why, why are you saying that?
0: Because I think one of the things that comes across in the book is that you talk a lot about filing folders, filing stuff. And I, we found that when we were reading it.
1: Where's your passport? Where do you keep money from another country that you're going back to?
0: Passports in my laptop bag. Money from another country I never have because I use my plastic card. Oh, really? I very rarely use cash when I'm abroad.
2: Yeah, I don't take, I don't really? take a wallet
0: use my phone? Yeah, fine.
1: Hey. But we never go anywhere
0: in... exotic enough to need to need well, listen, foreign everything currency. Is virtual
1: is it... and everything is digital. I don't care. I didn't tell you you had to use paper. I'm just saying that paper is the easiest thing to do. I guarantee you if I if I'm buying bread at the store and think of a good idea, I'm not going to have to I don't want anything tied to batteries or wi-fi to capture the idea. You wrote it on your hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was because I couldn't get my phone out of my pocket. I wasn't allowed. It's a long story.
1: Yeah, right. But, you know, that's with me. And been with me for 35 years. You know, I'm sorry. No Wi-Fi, no battery. Nobody's telling me not to write something down on a little piece of paper that comes out of my wallet.
0: No, it's not as socially unacceptable in the scenario in which I was in.
1: Correct. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't care. You know. You know. Right. You, okay. Because we, I, I'm really see, that, glad you clarified that's your that. your interpretation of what I said.
0: And I, you, that's been really useful. Every time we have a, a, an author on the show, David, something that always comes out is that they just give us an extra layer of understanding that we sometimes you miss when you've just read the book. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah. So what you're saying is actually, look, I don't care what your system is. I don't care what kit you're using. Just have a system and one yeah. that works.
1: Well, yeah, well, as long as you get it out of your head somewhere and sooner than later look at it and decide what you're going to do about it and what it means to you and then organize the results somewhere you trust you'll see it at the right time. I don't care. Right. You, can do it all, you can do it all in a hologram when that finally gets available. That's fine.
0: Okay. So I noticed the whole industry is spawned around GTD.
1: <laughs> yeah. Bemused me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you know what I mean? Every, if you look at every task management app, somewhere on that website, it will say something about easily uh, applicable to the GTD methodology. I know that, I think in the past, you've toyed with it from a technology perspective. Why not? create an overriding gtd app
1: as, well, as I, I, I tried twice it just wasn't possible to do did you for, for a couple of reasons one is the technology aspect of it you know frankly all those things out there are just list managers
0: yeah they are yeah. So
1: you, you know you know come on i had the palm. there was no better list manager than palm pilot i, I love the palm it was fabulous unfortunately it disappeared but i would use it right now if it were still around you know, the Palm is great. It's just a list manager. So all those are just list managers. But I'm talking about if you're talking about something where you walk into a room and it knows that you're there and it knows that it's Friday and it knows that you've already programmed in that on Friday afternoons between 2 and 4, you actually like a beer and you think really well at that time. Then it automatically is going to say, hey, Jonathan, you want a beer right now? Boom. And then it automatically you know gives that to you. and yeah. then. And then, or you walk in and you say, gee, I think my, my niece's birthday is coming up. And you suddenly see her in a hologram, and you see all the things that you ever bought her before, and you see all the things that you that, that she's ever said she might be interested in, all the things you might want to be aware of before you buy her a gift, if you're going to buy her a gift. I mean, come on. I'm talking about a real system that yeah. allows your brain not only to empty itself, but to then generate the most creative, value-added thinking you could with as little effort as possible, simply by having the right triggers and the right orientation maps in front of you at the right time. Yeah. So that's that's the ideal scenario. It's just, you know, I've tried with truly some of the best and brightest on the planet in terms of technology, both in the mid nineties, you know, when that was hot stuff to start to build this stuff. But, and we built, you know, a pretty cool app you know, that, that was pretty close to this. But then that's where Microsoft Office kind of won the desktop and Palm Pilot came out and there were a lot of other things out there. And, and so, and come on, Jonathan, most people are keeping stuff in their head. Why do they think they need something <laughs> that would do any of this? There's not a market for it. There's not, there's no. not, there's not, there's not what, a market for it, really, you know other that, than what's out there.
0: Something that fascinates myself and Michael is we've hired a lot of university graduates straight out of university. And I know in America that the education system... Is an expensive one for higher education, and people leave the university system with huge amounts of debt. And we have sadly gone down a not dissimilar here in the UK. You know, these kids are leaving university now with monumental amounts of debt. Yeah. And Michael and I have seen our fair share of graduates come and go in the business, haven't we? We
2: have.
0: Something that stuns us to the absolute core is we. Can take a graduate straight out of university, or maybe a year or two or three out of university. And these poor kids have paid huge amounts of money for an education at a business school. But they come out of business school, they come in here, and we make them pretty busy pretty quickly. There are a lot of inputs and a lot of open loops, and they happen thick and fast. And I can guarantee within 12 weeks. They will always be sat at a desk on the brink of tears. But irrespective of the fact that when we first started, when we first sit them down, we say, listen, you've got to write everything down, you've got to have a list, you've got to think about context and we'll try and coach them in a not dissimilar methodology. They don't listen, they're not interested. Then they have the moment of pain 12 weeks in, head is about to explode. They can't think straight, they can't sleep. Normally they hit that stress point where they're, they're, literally their brain just grinds to a halt. And what Mike and I can't figure out is why this isn't being taught as part of the curriculum of a university education, particularly at business school, because actually it's just a basic fundamental life skill.
1: They don't and, think they need it. Where we really need to get the education is to the nine to 11-year-olds. yeah. yeah. I wrote the book Getting Things Done for Teens with two co-authors, and one of them actually is a public school teacher in Minnesota, and he's been teaching his 9- and 10- and 11-year-olds GTD because they go, oh, that's what you do. But ask any teenager to walk into a store and say, I need a book on productivity. Ask (laughs) any of those college people to ask, I need a book on, they're going to go, give me a break. They don't think they need it. They don't think uh, they need unt- it. Unt- yeah, until until you throw them into the the, the, the snake pit that you have, they're not going to be aware that they might need something better.
0: Yeah, and it's not like Mike and I are bad people. It's just the realities of work, <laughs> of basic working life, isn't <laughs> it? Like they
1: they yeah.
0: come they come here and and work. Stuff just happens. Life happens. Job. You know, yeah. it's recruitment. Well, no, it's a it fast would moving be great. game.
1: Well, Believe me, I you know uh, we've had a lot of people be be very interested. How do we get this into the universities? How do we get it into the high schools? How do we get it into any of this stuff? Because kids are not learning. I wish I'd learned this when I was twelve. Jesus.
0: Yeah, it would have been
2: valuable stuff, wouldn't it? As a youngster. Yeah,
1: incredible. It's just you know, where's the motivation and where's the business model?
2: Well, they are not in any pain they? You're not in any pain when you're eleven about being disorganized because your parents do all your organizing for you. And, yeah, and even more
0: so in,
1: yeah. in this yeah. modern and when age. You leave, when you leave high school in the US, mom disappears as a trusted system.
2: Correct. Right.
1: Yeah. So you guys are hiring people that can't trust the university to be their system. Yes,
2: absolutely. And even yeah. even yeah. the
1: university, it was, it was you know kind of loosey-goosey itself, but they still had enough structure that they didn't have to worry about because they had the class they had went to and they had the, the the assignments they had to do and whatever. So their life was structured for them you're asking them to structure their life themselves. And they go, ah. They don't realize that yet until they're in it.
0: Yeah, and some people never quite work it out. So like you say, I think there's an element where some people are quite happy out with, they're almost happy with wallowing in stress. They believe that that's and the default setting that they should have for the work that they do.
1: I doubt that very many people are very conscious about that or would say what you just said, but I think, yes, that's probably true, just their comfort zones. Yeah. You no, know, they're fine with that. And oh, I'm so busy. Oh, yeah, I got, I got this stuff, you know. So, yeah, and, you know, it becomes a kind of a merit badge.
2: Okay. Of, well, it becomes yeah, a badge but, of honor of how many empty emails you've got in your inbox, doesn't it? Is the reality. Uh, tell me this then. So, you talk a bit about environment. How important do you think environment is in 2020 for the environment in which somebody's sat?
0: Yeah, I think I know where you're going with
2: this, Mike.
1: I'm not sure what you mean by the environment. Do you mean where they're sitting at their desk? Or the physicality, because
2: what, what? in the book, I mean, I'm paraphrasing it awfully, but you basically say you should have a home office and an office office that that are like each other, you know, that are reflective of one other. But then I think that in the modern software world, everything is organized on our screen. So I use Microsoft Teams, I use Google Tasks, I use Planner, I use whatever. So then I wonder whether the actual physical environment that surrounds us is as important in 2020 as it was in 2015 when this book was republished or in 2003 when it was originally written
1: yeah no i think you're right it's a virtual world these days and becoming more and more so so i think that making sure that your desktop whatever you guys are looking at on your desktop in terms of your digital desktop mine is empty
2: mine's empty i look at some people's desktops yeah. that have got loads right. of stuff on it and i think how how right. you concentrate how can that, that?
0: make yeah yeah. No and so, you
1: know, I come on, I've done I've done tons of work at Microsoft years ago when I walked in and looked at their office of the future and looked at all this stuff. And basically, it was just a way to organize, reorganize crap all over your screen. That didn't help at all. You know, you still, you know, weren't doing the process of capturing, clarifying, organizing based upon what the data there meant to you. You just waste, you know, most people's organization is just rearranging incomplete piles of unclear stuff.
2: Well, it's like my kids that just shove so. everything underneath the bed. Oh, a bed's tidy. A bedroom's tidy. Well, it's not actually. You just, you just <laughs> stuck it all somewhere. It's true, isn't it?
1: You well, just... no, that's, that's fine as long as that's okay with you, that that's where that stuff goes. Mm. See, I make kind of a funny point, but there's a point to it, that if you have a bunch of crap you don't want to deal with, just give yourself a big cardboard box and get a big labeler and label it crap I don't want to deal with and put all this stuff in there. You walk free. Now you've labeled all the stuff you don't want to deal with. That's fine. And if that's your desktop, I go, that's fine. That'll work. But that's not most people's desktop. Most people are sitting there with stuff screaming at them, whispering to them, yelling at them or whatever, and they go numb to that. That's why their desktop just keeps filling up with shit. And so you know again it's how conscious do you want to be about the stuff that's around you in your environment so i think to your point michael the i think ecosystem is it's very very supportive of you doing this in other words you know you can you know come on if you put on your running shorts or your yoga pants it's hard to have a martini you know but if you if you're wearing what you're wearing right now it's pretty easy right so your environment's going to make a big difference in terms of how you're motivated and how, and your and your your impetus to essentially do some of the best practices. Like I like to put on Vivaldi when I'm doing a weekly review, right? And Why so, Vivaldi?
0: I, don't know, I just like it. I, it's That's just your of, trigger
2: music, is it?
1: Yeah, it's my trigger music. It's kind of my trigger music for for sort of executive thinking and a little higher altitude in my life. Because
2: so I've got a, yeah. a really good pal of mine who works from home, quite a senior guy, Not in IT. Uh, in another market, and when he's working from home, he works on the kitchen table.
0: Uh, I just don't get that.
2: Which is fine, but he's got three kids, <laughs> and they was coming from school. And how on earth is he going to think about anything?
1: Yeah, that would be tough for me, but you know that's an individual call.
2: Absolutely. So yeah. here's one for you then. So when we, so we read a lot of sales books as well, and when we talk to sales authors, most of the sales authors. Have spoken to the other sales authors so everybody gets everybody else's system in terms of you this sounds very much like a system that is the um the software that run you know gtd sounds like the software that runs david allen's mind essentially that's laid out you know in the a operating system the operating system yeah um, and it doesn't seem like anybody else's version you know it's not like a, a bastardized seven habits or anything like that it's completely different which of the other uh, productivity authors do you have a, an
1: opinion on? I don't, really. I don't read them. I don't, I, I don't need to. I mean, I'm, some things are, you know, when I say productivity, come on, the food you eat, what time of the day you work, you know, how long you sleep, there's a, an, an infinite number of self-help, you know, things out there that could potentially improve your productivity. So when you say productivity, you say, well, look, everybody's being productive. They're producing exactly what they're getting when you say being productive i mean usually what most people say is i need to either produce more for the amount of energy i'm putting into it or i need to you know put less energy into what i'm doing you know so that's an improvement in productivity productivity itself is already happening you yeah. guys are producing stuff right now you yeah. you're producing whatever you're getting right? absolutely so Tell if us. you say i want something different then you say well that's either more you know, more result or, or less energy in you know invested. Those are the productivity improvements.
2: Because what, what surprised me is, we want, I've watched as a slight segue, I watched this thing about the space race between the US and the Russians. And the Russians were the first uh, space station to have somebody orbit the Earth, and the uh, country to have somebody orbit the Earth, and the US were the first people to put somebody on the moon. And what surprised me is that these two nations didn't share... One bit of data with the other, neither shared a bit of data with but the
0: But they other. both came up with some pretty good IP.
2: And they both ended up at around the same place. But yeah. so long as I've listened to what you're saying, David. So we we'll pick on Stephen Covey's book Seven Habits, which is a favourite of mine. What you're saying is you wouldn't read it because you didn't think it had relevance to your system and couldn't increase it.
1: No, I I, I loved his stuff. Stephen's stuff was great. You know. I'm uh, sorry, maybe
2: it, I misunderstood first,
1: you. First things first was good book. You know, i love that. Uh, Peter Drucker's The Effective Executive. Great book back in the 80s. Michael, Michael. I
2: hated it at the time. Can't help referring to it all the time now. (laughs) Because the way that it was written, I absolutely hated every minute of it. But I keep thinking about it every minute. But
1: But my stuff just feathers into all that. It just says, okay, here's a way. Drucker defined knowledge work and said, your biggest challenge was to define what your work is. He didn't tell you how to do that. I did. Yeah, okay. Right. So there's a lot of good advice out there. But come on, David Covey, Stephen's son, is my partner. You know, he's set up our whole license oh. you know, network around the world. David would tell you, he said, "Hey, you, David Allen's stuff is the way to implement Seven Habits."
0: Right. Well, that's a very interesting okay. viewpoint. Okay. Okay, and tell me, I, I'm intrigued by the pile of books, David. Mm-hmm. What you reading?
1: I'm not reading those. Those are all the translations of my works in all the different languages. Wow. We, just, we're, we were going to throw the books away, and Catherine said, no, we should probably keep them. So as It looks cool. Time. It looks cool on a podcast.
0: Yeah, right? it looks really cool. What are you reading at the moment, though?
1: Uh, I just finished reading a deep biography of Erasmus.
0: Wow. Tell me about that.
1: Hmm. Well that's a that's a long story, but okay. um, very much resonated with Erasmus. I mean, I'm I'm going to be Dutch and he was Dutch. He grew up in you know, he was born in Rotterdam. And Erasmus was one of the guys who said, you know, in fifteen hundred, don't give up the Catholic Church and all the good things that that it does for people who really need that. And don't get hung up in all of the stuff and all you know, if you're gonna forget what the essence of what Jesus brought. To the world you know in terms of the spirit uh because you're so tied up in all the icons and all that other stuff he said you know you don't get it so interesting interesting guy and i mean we're talking the 1500 now this was this is a long time radical radical stuff yeah but you know i'm i'm at the seat of where the reformation happened and you know i was a history major so i was fascinated by that and fascinated by the culture that grew up in in the netherlands of the openness for all of that stuff. Okay. Anyway, so that's a longer story and probably not relevant necessarily to what your audience wants to hear. About that, <laughs> okay, that, what do you that's, think? That's what I've just finished reading.
0: Help me make sure I've understood something that you talk about, which is, I'm a great believer in, uh, sometimes I'll look at a, a list of stuff and I'll look at it and I'll think, okay, those are things that are, that are actions I do need to do today. And then I will then prioritise them A1, A2, B1, B2. So that at some point, at least I know the hottest, most painful thing, given my feeling of overwhelm is going to get done first. And the next hottest, most painful thing is going to get done next. And the next hottest, most painful thing is going to get done next. And that gives me that work. And I think you've probably already answered my own question. That gives me a feeling of clarity and calmness that allows me to fight my way through that fire at that point in time. And when I was reading the book, I always sensed that were, that you weren't as fond of that as a methodology. And, and I'm just wondering if you can clarify what your thinking is around prioritizing work and prioritizing tasks.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying don't give yourself a structure that you then have to break. Go on, could you you a, on that if you, you create a daily to-do list, come on, 40% of your day is going to be a surprise. You're going to blow the hell out of that. You're going to yeah. feel guilty you didn't do all the stuff on your list.
0: Yeah, so you always said,
1: walk home every night so feeling said, defeated. I just said, don't, don't do that. Why don't you just do what you feel like doing and then congratulate yourself by all the things you accomplished at the end of the day, a lot of it you didn't expect, a lot of things, whatever. And it's fine to create whatever kind of structure makes you feel comfortable. You know, I've got serious GTDers out there, that The night before, they look through their whole GTD system and then take a three-by-five card, a little index card, and write the five things they want to get done the next day if they have time to do it. Yeah. Great. And, that, yeah, that's fine. They, they they then look at the whole game. I do, too. I look at the whole game. I just don't need to write it down. I don't have that complex or, or, or intricate a life right now. And so I don't need to do that. But it's fine. if that. What Look, Jonathan, this is all about appropriate engagement. It's not about getting things done. It's not about working harder. It's not about any of that. It's about, are you appropriately engaged with all of the commitments you have in your life so that you're totally present right now in this conversation with me?
0: Yeah, or am I thinking
1: about the meeting meeting I've got to be in next? What's not on cruise control? So if if cruise control means you need to sit down and do one A, one B, one C, fine. Yeah. And if it takes you six hours to get ready for the rest of your day, go for it. Come on, how much time do the you know, come on, your soccer, your football teams you, you guys are big football territory. How much time do you think do you think they spend getting ready for their work? Well, all week. A week.
0: They only do That's 90 right. minutes work a week.
1: And and most people won't spend five minutes getting ready for their day. Yeah. So whatever time you you know, take an hour. You yeah. know, we just know, you know, we've discovered over all these years, one to two hours for the weekly review is pretty much critical for anybody listening to this right now. Yeah, I'm, better, I'm a big weekly reviewer. Yeah, you better sit down and b- bring up the rear guard or whatever on some consistent basis. And most people haven't built in the time to do that, and reflection time is absolutely critical for people to stay on top of their game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Michael?
1: No, I'm good, thanks. I thought it was interesting.
0: David, uh, as always, every time we have an author on the show, it just creates another dimension of understanding to the book. and
2: i must say i think as a man i expected you to be a much more authoritarian soul like a like an american mary poppins
1: <laughs> no no i'm a I'm fellow student to my own stuff guys come on I, I you know i fall off my wagon regularly i just don't stay off the wagon i know how to get back on i don't no, know what the wagon is it's
0: interesting that you say you fall off the wagon every now and then of course
1: if you know you're not playing a big enough game yeah know. You need to throw yourself out of your own comfort zone with some new vision, some new goal, some new thing you want to do. Otherwise, you're probably not stretching or expanding yourself like you're like you're on the planet to do.
0: I think if you were living on permanent autopilot, it's a, it's a life unlived, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no kidding.
2: To, to be fair. But, but it has been interesting to meet you. I wish I'd met you before I read the book, actually, because it gave it a bit more context.
0: I think we actually need to start doing the show with the author with the author first <laughs> that's a good idea and, and guys. then the book yeah yeah because actually the context is so different yeah. david it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show literally i have read the book three times i have implemented a lot of it wow. thank you so much for coming on the show hey, uh, anytime guys
1: you want me to come back i'm happy to come back and and chat with you and your folks so great. Right. happy to, happy to do that so thanks for the invitation this is fantastic was fun.
0: lovely to meet you today
2: thank you